Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio on a Farmer Friday. Today's the day. It's all about you. If you would like to call into the show, our, our phone lines will be open all throughout the show. 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can also email us, radio at agphd.com, or find us on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty or Brian Hefty. All right, so I've got my brother Darren on today as well. Darren, is there anything you wanted to start out the day with here on this Farmer Friday? Well, it's kind of interesting. In our area, soybeans are starting to get harvested, and kind of like the corn, we're seeing yields up and down, some surprisingly good yields, and then some expected uh, low yields in some of the real tough drought-stressed areas, too. So uh, it's going to be going to be fun now. Once the soybeans start coming out, it really gets going. Yeah, it does, but that gets me thinking about next year. And so you and I were just having this discussion today about cover crop and how late is too late. So like on our farm last year was the first year we were ever able to do very much cover crop because we had a lot of corn silage come off real early. Last week of August, first week of September. So we threw oats out there just to see, all right, let's test this out. And I can't say that we have the yield data yet, so I'm interested to see if we lost anything in terms of yield because of the cover crop or not. But the reason why I doubt we lost anything, yeah, I'm not counting on the gain, but yes, you're right. Um, But anyway, where I'm going with this is we've been using oats. And the reason why I like oats is it terminates. It definitely dies in the wintertime. And so come spring, we have almost nothing there. I will also say we're, we're seeding all this. So what we're doing is trying to be really quick because we have lots of acres recovering, throwing it out with our floater, the oats, and then going and doing a little bit of tillage to work it in. And then we are having our stands pop up pretty quickly because it's a relatively cool time of year for us now. We're getting a little bit of moisture, not a lot, but a little bit. So things are coming along just fine. But anyway, the question was, okay, we're going to take some high moisture corn out next week. Well, next week, we're talking 1st of October, basically by the end of the week. So is it too late to seed a cover crop or is it not? Because a lot of times we freeze up. I mean, the ground is frozen solid sometime in December, maybe November, and nothing is really going to grow around here from probably late October on because we just don't have enough heat. So is it too late to get any benefit out of that cover crop? As you might imagine, we're thinking, no, it's not too late, but I don't know. I I mean, we usually will tell people 45 to preferably 60 days. Well, realistically, if we're seeding next week, this oats, we've got 40 days, maybe 30 days. So we don't have a lot of time, Darren. What do you think? Well, that's a good question, and and I think it's going to vary. And you talk to farmers that have been doing cover crops for years, and they say some years it's great, some years eh, we just don't get enough moisture to get it growing, we just don't have the right weather. And, and, you know, it's just one of those things, like a lot of things in in farming, you do them 10 out of 10 years, and 7 out of 10 they're great, a couple times they don't matter, and one time it goes against you. So there's nothing that's 100% always it's going to be great. So is it too late? I don't think so. We're still getting some growth out there. And if nothing else, even if we only get a few inches of growth, that might be enough to cut down on any wind erosion. And that's a win for me. Well, prior to us doing a lot of silage with this dairy that moved in next to us, we had been leaving a fair amount of residue out there in the fall. We do a lot of strip till. We weren't 
doing much conventional till anymore. So because of that, um, or even if we did do the conventional till, it was very late in the season. It was early November or something like that. So anyway, because of that, we really didn't have a lot of erosion with our fields because we had so much residue still out there. Well, when you cut silage, I'm sure as you know, <laughs> there, there's not a lot of residue left out there and certainly not enough to protect the ground if you start getting massive rains or tremendous winds. And if you have an open winter. So that's the reason why we've even talked about this, that we got it. We feel like we have to do something out there. So I'm not saying we're going to do this on our soybean ground where there is going to be lots of residue left there. But for this corn ground where we're cutting silage, I, th I think we're about stuck to do it no matter when they take that silage off. Don't you, Darren? Well, I think so. It's, it's at least worth a try. And, you know, we don't have a whole lot of money in this. So no. it's not like it's super no. expensive or anything. So no. I, I, I'm pretty certain it's the right thing to do. Yep, I feel that way as well. All right, again, it's Farmer Friday. If you want to call into the show, 844-44-AG-PHD or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. So we'll get to the Ag PhD mailbag a little bit later in the show, but I want to take these last couple minutes here for our first segment of the day. Uh, Darren, I just wanted to ask you, so I know you've been out at a lot of seed breeder plots. What's new and different in corn or soybeans that maybe you've just seen in the last couple, three weeks where you go, ooh, this is something kind of, it's a little unique and maybe something farmers would be interested to learn about? Well, there's more SmartStacks Pro hybrids coming for 24 planting. So I think that second crop of SmartStacks Pro uh, looks looks kind of exciting to me. So we'll see how many of those make the market, but I'm suspecting quite a few. Uh, the other thing that we're seeing is more power core and list, which is another new trait that's just been waiting on approval from Mexico for the refuge and the bag option. I look for that one really to hit in another year here. And there's some pretty nice material in there. Again, this isn't a rootworm protected hybrid but it'd be more like a, a double pro type hybrid, but it would also have tolerance to enlist herbicide and also the FOPs. So that's going to change things when products like Assure 2 uh, would be safe to use in corn as a grass control or volunteer corn control choice. So I think we're going to have an option here for corn on corn where uh, you could potentially kill any volunteer corn out there, and that's a, a big, nasty weed. So I think that's pretty good. And when we look at the soybeans, boy, this new class of Extendflex beans looks really good. It's really improving, so I'm excited about that for this coming year. As you say that, I know the Enlist beans have been coming off really good, too, some that have been cupped. And so, anyway, I was just talking to Glenn, our research lead, and he goes, yep, those Enlist beans, you know how they were cupped. I go, yep. He said, well, guess what? They still yielded really well. So, yeah, it, we're lucky as farmers to have great Extend Flex beans now, along with great Enlist beans. Lots of really good choices. All right, we're going to get to the phone lines right after this on Ag PhD Radio. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us.
When it comes to mites in your field, you can't afford a solution that might work. That's why there's Zeopro Miticide from Valent USA. With next-level knockdown and long residual control, you can be sure to handle spider mites at all stages of life with complete certainty. With efficient translaminar activity, apply by ground or air, and confidently attack mites where they are. Make Zealpro the definitive answer to your mite problem. Visit valent.com slash zealpro to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our infield research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. It's planting season. Race against the clock season. Mistakes can't happen season. And no one helps you face it all like John Deere. Putting technology in your hands that gets you in and out of the field faster. That makes your spacing and depth more accurate. And that gives you the confidence that this season will be your best season. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gainground. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. It's a Farmer Friday. If you want to call in, the number is 844-44-AG-PHD. First on today, we got our friend Tony Wendler. He's with Farm Shop MFG. Tony, how are you today? I'm excellent, Brian. Uh, perfect fall. It's been warm. I'm, things are great. Uh, yeah, they're great, <laughs> but I would say this. We're getting a lot of calls from people who go, uh, yeah, my corn yield is terrible and my grain quality is not the best. What do I do? And so I wanted to ask you that question. If people are putting in corn that's yielding 50 to 100 bushels, grain quality's low, let's say test weight is low, how does that work with, let's say, automatic bin fan controls. I mean, do you have to do you have to account for anything different than you would if let's say it was fantastic corn with great test weight and perfect quality? Uh, when you got poor quality, you know, the um, one of the issues that first goes with that is you're really prone to mold is my yep. experience in the past. Mm-hmm. So you're really prone to things like that. You want to stay in front of uh, letting any type of humidity buildup or uh, moisture and uh, any type of uh, uh, ventilation because of cooling and stuff like that in the bin. Uh, so, uh, so, so with that they, though, break up those convections. Yeah. Sh- so, should should I try to dry my grain more? Should I put more air on it? Should I look for a lower temperature, a lower moisture percentage? I'm going to store it at. I mean, what are your thoughts on all that? Uh, yes. Where I'd be, that's my thoughts, and I hate to, I hate to say that. I hate to say dry it a little more, but I, if you've got uh, low test weight and you're looking at it's low quality, it's just prone to mold. Uh, and uh, a little drier, or if you're going to do it to 15, uh, sell it and let somebody else deal with it. Yep. That's what I was going to say. So so that's probably the best option. As good as the crop markets are, I mean, you can always buy the grain back on the board if you wanted to or something like that. The, yeah. the concern, like I'm just looking at it even in our local area where we have 
uh, a lot lower yields than what people were thinking going into the year. And there are all these ethanol plants, all these livestock people. So where's the grain going to come from? My feeling and my honestly, my hope for a lot of people is for a lot of grain producers, at least, is that the basis level by next summer is phenomenal. And I think that's what a lot of people are looking at going, you know what, even if the market just stays flat, if I can pick up 50 cents on that basis, um, I could pay for a good portion of my bins just in one year. But that is the concern is watching for that mold. So, I mean, you're probably most worried about that come spring once things start to warm up and we get all that condensation when it gets warm, right? Need to correct. You want to, the thing that I think you really want to pay attention to is you want to be ventilating your bins every month, breaking up that convections that are naturally setting up in the bin. So I'm not talking major. I'm saying like uh, you get it set to a temperature, uh, um, just for an example, beans, corn. Uh, we're going to bring it down. We're going to hold it in the mid-30s. So once a month, you get an opportunity to ventilate that bin with temperatures in the mid-30s. Uh, if you've frozen your corn, you got it down at 20 degrees, uh, look for temperatures in the mid-20s in the winter. But run your fans for two to four hours once a month. Uh, in the spring, do a warm-up. Do I would think I'd be playing with a tank full of gas and matches. If uh, I had... Uh, low-quality, uh, mold-prone corn still frozen, uh, and I'm leaving it that way into spring. Yeah. I would. You really need to move it out of the bin. you got to warm it up. Yep, yep. Any other topics you wanted to talk about today, Tony? The uh, uh, Just a uh, maybe a little bit more on, on that, uh, that light test weight. One of the things, if, if you're selling to livestock guys, livestock guys shouldn't want that. Uh, so if you're, you're really, you're marking next spring for that is ethanol because the, the yep. livestock guy, he should really try not to buy that corn. Sure. And if you're going to be nice to your neighbor, don't try to sell it to him. <laughs> uh, the, uh, uh, the, uh, something else real quick. I sure. was just drove this week down to Jonesboro and I was surprised on my trip from here down through Kansas city and across, I bet I probably only physically saw maybe five combines in the field on the way down and 10 on the way back. And that's a long drive. Yeah. So I was surprised how few combines are rolling in North of Kansas city. Uh, those fields have that Brown color, like they're dead. Hmm. Uh, so it might be heat and things like that. So that's just a, an interesting side note, but, uh, the, uh, one of the things that we're really looking on, uh, Management, we're looking to work with a lot of farmers on uh, corn bin uh, fan controls to protect that bottom 20% in the bin. Yeah. And we've got a uh, one of our monitors that's low cost now that is just perfect for uh, going in there. 1800 bucks, and it'll run your fans to prevent that over-drying if you've got ideal corn. Not necessarily the light test weight stuff, but yeah, yeah, good corn. This is uh, this is the thing for that market. Yeah, I am. Op- I'm optimistic about our grain markets. That that's for sure. Hey, Tony, we got to get running, but uh, thanks a lot for being on the show today. Appreciate it. If you want to uh, learn more about the things Tony's doing, just go to farmshopmfg.com. Thanks, Tony. Thanks, Brian. You bet. Bye. I got Jim calling in next from down in Tennessee. He farms down there. Hey, Jim, how are you? Ron, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, is harvest happening on your farm right now? Yeah, we had a little excitement yesterday. My grain cart man was Johnny on the spot on the radio and made sure that the combine driver knew we had a fire, and he got it put out before I got there. 
So things are that dry? Local, well, it was a bearing went down, but oh. we are dry. We were, uh, we've had a, a hard summer. Uh, with the last two weeks of June and the entire month of July, we were 10 to 12 degrees uh, higher than normal. We had several days that were high, uh, over 95. Uh, matter of fact, it was almost three weeks straight. Wow. And so our corn suffered, and uh, anywhere from zeros to two hundreds in the same pass. And so that's mm. going to make uh, fertilizer this fall going to be real tricky. So we're trying to figure out exactly what to do: either blanket apply, or we're going to variable rate uh, based off our yield maps. And so we're we've been talking to my wheat tech consult- consultants about doing that as we speak. Yeah, there are a lot of people talking about that variable rate thing that you just mentioned this year because normally in fields, and I, we have the same thing, normally in our fields, there's variance. But I, I'm with you. We do have some spots of zero on our farm, and we will have some spots of 300. So you don't want to fertilize both of those exactly the same way when fertilizer prices are this high. Exactly. So your combine fire, everything, uh, I mean, you caught it early enough, so no super major damage with the combine or anything? Well, I, I'm going to give a shout-out to Hudson John Deere. If it hadn't been we boogered up the shaft, they would have had me running yesterday afternoon. Oh. And we would have been running by lunch today if it hadn't been for UPS lost the shaft coming out of Atlanta. <laughs> so uh, we, we uh, dodged a bullet big time. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I, the mechanics are great. You know, farmers always get down on how much it costs and yep. whatever, but we really have outstanding mechanics, and John Deere's parts is just hard to beat. You know, I know a lot of people complain about how much stuff costs, but, you know, considering how much it costs to have that many that type of uh, parts availability right. at the local dealerships and then also, you know, just, uh, you know, uh, airline shipment away so i'm pretty happy what we got so we should be running by lunch tomorrow and we'll be done by sunday good good deal so as you've been going through with harvest anything else that's really stood out to you other than obviously this variable yield thing i mean any weed issues or bugs or diseases or i mean anything else that you saw agronomically the biggest thing i've noticed is the variability on the uh, yields going from one end of the field to the other, and yes, it's a lot of it's soil types, but there's places that normally would, on a good year, would make 150, 160, or making 120 or so, but the places that you would think were your best parts of the field were some, were blanked. And so I think it literally was a uh, heat trap at night and just not cooling down. We yep. had passes across the field that the stalks looked fine there was not a husk or a silk on it and i'd never seen that before but i'm astounded at how good the yields are considering how rough the month of july was and the pollination on the kernel or on the cob. yeah we you have know, we have short yeah we have some we pretty have real short yeah. Oh, sorry to interrupt you there, Jim. I was just going to say, yeah, we, we got some just pretty fantastic hybrids compared to what we used to have. Hey, Jim, we're up against a break here, but thanks a lot for calling in. We really appreciate it, and best of luck as you finish up Harvest down there. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Compromise is nice. 
if you're at the playground or scouring yard sales. But farmers know better that middle grounds have no winner. That's why there's Revitec fungicide, fast-acting and long-lasting, preventative and curative, disease control and stress reduction. So leave the settling to little Tommy at the seesaw, an old bargain bill, and take your full prize in yields with Revitec fungicide for uncompromised performance. Always read and follow label directions. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. What if your herbicide was easy to mix and tough for weeds to resist? Anthem Flex Herbicide from FMC offers the most effective mode of action for spring and winter wheat, delivering long-lasting control of grasses and broadleaf weeds, including Italian ryegrass, rat-tail fescue, and downy brome, plus weeds typically resistant to glyphosate and Group 1 and Group 2 herbicides. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Every week for more than two decades, Ag PhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more. All designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. AgroLiquid is precision crop nutrition. That means being committed to product performance, to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. Most of all, AgroLiquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way, including seed-safe planter plus side dress applications and foliar applications with low burn risk. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. Our phone lines are open throughout the show, 844-44-AG-PHD, or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Next on the show, calling from Pennsylvania, we have Grant. Hey, Grant, how are things out in your state today? Well, today we've got a beautiful day going. North-northwest winds blowing pretty stiff. Clear blue sky, a great uh, grain dry-down day. Nice. Uh, so do you need that grain to dry down quite a bit? Is it wet yet? You know, we're right about on schedule. Uh, we've had a good growing season in, in the local area here. Uh, our crops in and around southeast PA are probably as good or maybe even the best ever. Nice. Uh, we just had rains at the right time, but you don't have to go too far north in Pennsylvania till 
they really missed a lot of the rains and the crops quite short, but sure. Right here, it's it's really a tremendous crop. Oh, good, good. So as you're looking at this crop coming off here this fall, I, I mean, is there anything that you say, I did this this year agronomically and it worked really well, or I think it worked really well, or maybe something that didn't work well? I mean, has anything stood out to you that you did as a practice on your farm this year, good or bad? Yeah, I'd say on soybeans, uh, we've been in with some uh, foliars uh, with the Roundup cleanup spray. Yep. Uh, we use some Ag Explore products like Soy Science Strike and NutriPack in combination. It seems like we get more response if you use some of those kind of products in combination. Yep. And that gave us a real nice uh, bean crop. But where we come back with some later stuff with some PGR materials like Onward Max out of Ag Explore. Uh, it's the first year I can ever remember walking down rows of beans, spreading the beans apart. Now, they're still leaved up for the most part, uh, but you spread the, the rows apart, and you don't have to look to find four bean pods, and that's that's unusual. Hmm. Uh, so I think I think these you know juiced-up foliars are doing some things, doing some things with that crop that uh, we weren't doing before. And uh, is it exciting when you can go from field to field, walk out in the field, start spreading your beans apart, and looking down the, the you know looking down the plant and seeing four bean pods here? You know you don't have to look for them; they're there. Yep, definitely. So yeah. that's that's been pretty uh, rewarding. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. So as you've been walking through those fields, have you seen much for weeds out there? I mean, what is your number one weed problem in your area? Uh, the number one weed problem is probably associated with farmers that just aren't doing a good job. <laughs> I mean, we have a lot of mare's tail on at certain spots, but yeah. guys that learn how to manage it, it's not a problem. I mean, guys that are better managers, they got soybean fields as clean as can be. Uh, guys that just don't quite get it, don't know how to manage their herbicides and, and timings, uh, you can find some pretty weedy fields. But for the most part, Corn and bean fields are pretty darn clean. Okay, let's talk about that real quick. Mare's tail in soybeans, what works best for you? Well, guys have a couple of different approaches. Um, we happen to like sharpen or, or verdict in with the burn down mm -hmm. in the spring if we don't have if we don't have plants that have gotten away from us in the fall. Sure. Um, that does a really nice job of giving you a clean field. Mm -hmm. And we're pushing more of your your uh, three pre-program a lot yep. of times if it's if it's a really a weedy field mm -hmm. and uh, s some of the guys that tried that program this year uh, thought because they were using three products they could really skimp on the rates of each one and they just didn't get very good weed control for very <laughs> yeah. long yep that that sounds like normal farmer mentality though grant i, I mean <laughs> I, and I, I, I can't say that I am, uh, I, I'm not guilty of that sometimes myself, where we go, well, let's try getting by with this rate. So, no, I hear you. These weeds are kind of tough. Hey, uh, Grant, I want to thank you a lot for calling in today. We appreciate it and uh, hope things continue well for you out there. All right. Well, thanks so much. You have a good day now, yep. Brian. Yep, you too. All right, got Jim calling in from Wisconsin next. Hey, Jim, how are you today? I'm good. Excellent. Excellent. Cooling down, that's for sure. <laughs>
Yep. Uh, yeah, I stepped outside today and it's like, whoa, uh, it's windy and cold and a little bit rainy. And uh, yeah, it's a definite change from what we've had as well. So uh, tell us about your farm. Are, are you harvesting yet? Have you cut silage or, or any, any crop come off now? No, we uh, opened up some field a few days ago, but the silage is still, it's still too wet to go ours is anyways okay there's been some there's been some chopped around here some guys are going so as far as we're concerned yeah we haven't had that the beans are beans are turning some of the o nines are getting pretty close but uh, sure yeah the others are still with the yellow flowers or yellow leaves and so forth so yeah have you heard anything tonnage wise or i mean how how's the crop uh, looking or doing over there uh, when I look at the corn, the the, the ears are small, the kernels are small. We we didn't have a lot of we had a pretty good drought this yeah. summer. Yep. So, I mean, third cutting hay, I had sixty acres of nice alfalfa, and I got five big squares off it. So mm. that kind of tells you how dry it got during mm-hmm. that period of time. Yeah. I mean, so what what's so, your soil like? Do you have heavy soil or is this lighter soil? Uh, most of the soil around here, although it's got a clay bottom to it, under it, most of it is, uh, mine is, doesn't have, mine's more well-drained. Mine's sure. pretty well-drained, but a lot of it around here is, uh, you know, you're talking mid-teens for uh, CEC. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yep. it's, yeah, we're pretty lucky. Clay, we, we also had drought this year, but we got a lot of our ground that's in the 20s for CEC, so that was still holding some moisture. And I, I mean, I'm not going to say we're going to have a good crop, but at least it's not a, a disaster or anything like that. Yeah, well, this is probably just enough to keep from collecting insurance. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the so worst possible yield. That, that that's what a lot of people say. Either I want a record yield or I want nothing. Uh, at least when right. I have nothing, then I collect insurance. But uh, so, what what else are, are are you thinking about right now? Any other decisions you're making on the farm or anything as you look forward here? Well, yeah, I, got, I don't I don't know. I mean, it's just. Uh, these these it's just hard when do you buy fertilizer when don't you you know i mean the market there you got what how do you market your corn i mean the corn's mm-hmm. been i marketed some for december you know and then maybe roll it but uh yep yeah i don't i don't know if that was a good idea yet or not we'll see i guess yeah i mean everything is always hey hindsight is 2020 so what do you normally do with your corn do you normally hang on to a lot of it until the next year yeah, normally, normally I hang on to it, and then you know, starting in the spring, I try to, or you know, sure. right after the year, then I start trying to market some of it. Some guys, uh, you know, they haul certain number of loads every month, and yep. get kind of get an average. Average is what they try to. Do. Yep, yep. My grandpa so. used to talk about that quite a bit. He's like, "Well, then at least you don't have to worry." But I don't know, lot lots of strategies out there for marketing, and I I agree with you on this fertilizer thing too. If you start adding up the numbers anymore and you go, okay, well, if I'm raising a good yield, I need a lot of fertilizer at these prices, it's a lot of dollars. So it's hard to make that decision. And I mean, nobody really knows what's going to happen. I mean, I'm always optimistic that our input costs are going to go down, but I don't know if that'll happen by next spring or not. I'm certainly hoping it does by next fall, but we'll see. Yeah. Well, what I've done is I've bought some. Sure. Yep. Haven't bought, haven't bought at all. So yep, yep. Maybe it's maybe it's kind of the same theory. Hit the average. Exactly. Yep. Spreading the risk a little bit. Well, hey, uh, Jim. Thanks a lot for calling in today. Appreciate it, and uh, good luck as you get going with harvest soon. Okay. Thank you. You bet. Thank you.
Yeah, Jim hit on a couple of really good points there. And that's, I mean, there are a lot of, I think, people outside of our industry that just look at what we do as farmers. And there are some people that say, oh, that's pretty easy and everything. But I don't think they fully understand what the risk is here, especially like anymore when, granted, I, I get it that crop prices are pretty high. But because of that, or partly because of that, some of these input costs have gone way up too. Well, when the costs are so high to operate a business like a farm, that means that our risk is that much greater as well. So any decision we make on the farm, I mean, we just, we have more risk. We have more at stake here. So that's, I guess, in part why we're here at Ag PhD to try to help you through some of these things. And I'm not going to tell you exactly when to sell your grain or when to buy your fertilizer, but I can usually help you make some of the decisions when it comes to, all right, well, which fertilizer would give me the best return on investment? So we'll talk through some of those kind of things right after this here on Ag PhD Radio. Growing up on the farm, I woke up as early as mom and dad. I put as many hours on the tractor, changed as many teeth on the tiller as my brothers. It doesn't matter if you're young or old, man or woman. When there's work to be done, you put your boots on and you do it. I do that on my farm and in my job at Case IH. My name is Kelsey, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. There's a new kind of crop protection in your territory, and it's always on the hunt. Howler Fungicide unleashes multiple modes of action for proven, broad-spectrum protection against soil-borne and foliar diseases. Start protecting your territory at agbiome.com howler. Did you know 20% of stored corn is often overventilated by three points of moisture? On 100,000 bushels, that's a whole semi-load. Stop this problem for less with the end zone for corn from Farm Shop MFG, specially priced at $1,800 per unit while supplies last. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, Updates and results from our infield research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. 
At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutritia N Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Nutritia N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, joined again by my brother Darren. Our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD if you'd like to call into the show. So Darren, right before the break, I was just saying, well, we can't predict what fertilizer prices are going to do. We certainly can predict what is going to pay best on a farm for fertility once we take a look at, all right, what crop are we raising, what's the soil like, and especially what's that soil test say. So uh, this is just one of the things where I, I, I guess we are passionate about it because we had a lot of issues on our own farm. So years ago when Darren and my dad and I would talk about some of these things, it's like, well, what's what's our problem here? Well, must be more nitrogen. We need more nitrogen. And <laughs> we'd put more nitrogen on foolishly. And of course that got us nowhere. And the problem with doing it wrong is you don't just waste money. In some cases, like for us, we screwed up our soil. Because what happens when you put excess nitrogen on? So a lot of people instantly think, oh, groundwater contamination, whatever. Look, maybe, but we've got deep water tables here on a lot of stuff and really heavy soil. So are we really going to get that nitrate down to the water table? Probably not. But if we do, or even if we don't, either way, we know that nitrate is going to work its way through the soil and strip calcium out when it's in excess. And so what we did is we created zones on our farm where the pH was low. Okay, well now we not only overspent on nitrogen, we hurt our yield because we lowered the pH excessively, and then we had to spend more money to fix the pH again with lime. So where I'm going with all this is please, I would encourage you, don't guess at your fertility program. Run some soil tests. If you've got questions, you can certainly send those to us. We're more than happy to talk about that. Uh, by the way, um, I, well, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag, and then we can uh, just talk a little bit more about that and answer a couple of these questions too. It's the mailbag! Okay, Alan from Nebraska just said, Hi, I was wondering if there's a video on how to use the Ag PhD Soils app. Um, Alan, we don't have that, but that is something that we are talking about as we move forward. We've got a lot of a lot of things that we want to continue to try to improve with all the stuff that we're doing here. And just like I, I mentioned a minute ago, before we get to your question, I would say if you've got soil tests that you'd like us to take a look at and give you our feedback on that, we're more than happy to do that. So, Darren, you're talking to people about soil tests every day. What's the most common question or two you will usually get when you you when somebody shows you their soil test? Well, when we're looking at soil tests, it's interesting between people that listen to Ag PhD pretty regularly and people that I just meet on the street that really haven't haven't heard us talk about soils. The, the guys that are, are following what we're, we're talking about a lot are really curious about base saturations and how to adjust things. Yep. So that, that gets to be an interesting topic. The guys that haven't been listening to our talk, a lot of them don't have complete soil tests. And 
So one of the biggest things that they'll ask is, man, how important are these micronutrients and how important is it to have a complete test? Because this is what I have and it's one test per field. If you've got one test per field, I, I get it. It kind of gives us uh, a little bit of a feel for what you've got, but mainly in terms of cation exchange capacity and how heavy or light your soil is. As far as nutrients go, boy, I could pick one spot in any field that we farm and have no idea where to go. There's so much variability out there in almost every field we've seen. Yes. So make sure you're looking at that and just start with one field. It's 10 bucks a test for a complete analysis, complete, complete Malik 3. It's not expensive. No. Just go out and try it. Try it on a small field. Say you got a 15-acre field. Great. Pull 15 samples. Spend 150 bucks. And you'll see what kind of variability there is out there and where you're really at on nutrients. All right. Derek from North Central Iowa has this question for us. And hang with me here because it's kind of long. He says, I attended your soils clinic this past year. I just want to thank you for all the education that you're providing for the farm community. He says, my friends like to poke fun of me for going to dirt school. But my family's been farming the same land for 140 years. We're just trying to improve it. And, and improve it for the next generation. Well, anyway, we, we got a soil warrior machine, and we're going to do some strip till. We have been broadcasting fertilizer every year ahead of corn and soybeans. Here are our fertility levels. Phosphorus, 30 to 40 parts per million. Potassium, 20, or sorry, 200 to 300 parts per million, but we do have a 4 to 5% base saturation K level. Uh, we're fairly short on sulfur, zinc, and the other micros. Now, our tissue tests have shown us we're having a hard time getting adequate levels of phosphorus and sulfur into the plant. So CEC ranges from 15 to 20, organic matters 4%, all the way up to 8%. That's tremendous. Uh, pH is 5.9 to 6.7, and our normal corn yields 225 to 250, beans 60 to 70. We soil sample about every two to four years. So here's what we're looking at. We want a variable rate band, a blend of 175 pounds of MAP, 125 pounds of potash, along with 165 pounds of actual N with anhydrous, uh, adjusting the dry rate based on each field's past corn yield maps. We'd like to band in a source of sulfur, and our fertilizer dealer says other farmers, with other farmers using strip-till, they typically use elemental sulfur, but I was considering AMS as a source for uptake availability. What I was wondering is what rates you typically see for strip-till fertilizer, and also if there's a concern that the pH level in the strip could be driven significantly lower than desired from certain fertilizer sources. I would assume putting 15 pounds of elemental sulfur in a band would lower the pH of the strip significantly, and I'd hate to see negative effects when we are hoping for improved nutrient uptake. So he's got another question here, but let's let's take that one first. Are we worried about the soil pH in that strip? Personally, I'm not, and I'm not from that 15 pounds of elemental sulfur. But yes, if you over-apply fertilizer, that's where we typically see the, the uh, soil pH going down long-term. So in the short term, Fertilizer is most likely going to lower the pH, but that's a short-term thing, nothing to get that worried about. But I'm just saying we got to put the right rate out there. So usually on our farm, if we're going to band, we put out crop removal rates, and that's it. We're not doing a build program, and it does not sound like you're doing a big build program either. Maybe a little bit on 175 pounds of map, but as low as your phosphorus is already, I, I certainly wouldn't worry too much about that. Darren, any thoughts on that? Let me just talk about the phosphorus first, then the sure. uh, acidification next. 
The phosphorus at 30 to 40 parts per million. Some farmers are listening to this right now saying, and you may be one of them, saying, well, what do you mean? That's a pretty good level. According to my university, I'm in the excellent range. Well, you might be, but once you have four to five base saturation K and 300 parts per million, you're, you're beyond the excellent range there. So you need to bring the other nutrients up into that level. And once you bring that P up, you're going to want to watch zinc really close because already I would say you need at least three parts per million of zinc. And you didn't mention where you're at on the zinc. So I would be concerned about that one. And as you raise the phosphorus up, I'd like to see that more like 50 parts per million. You're going to need at least five parts per million of zinc. Okay, then as far as the acidification, acidification is great because it makes more nutrients available and helps get them off the soil colloids and into the soil solution. So a slight amount of acidification In right around the root zone, yep. I think that's a good thing short term. Yeah. 15 pounds of elemental sulfur is not enough to make a long-term change. No. Okay, I want to come back to this 30 to 40 parts per million of phosphorus. You made an excellent point there, but here's the whole thing. We always would encourage every farmer out there, plug in your yield goals to the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. So if you're already at 225 to 250, you want to go to 300, okay? I'm sure you've talked about 300 on your farm. Let's, let, let, so let's get into this a little bit. 300 bushel corn needs 153 pounds of phosphate. 153. 153. Okay, so I want you to think about that. Now, let's run these numbers. If you had 40, and I, this is on the high side, you said 30 to 40, but let's just say you had 40 parts per million of phosphorus. Okay, to convert that to phosphate, you multiply times 2.3, and to convert from parts per million to pounds per acre, that's 184. And what did we just say we were going to remove? 153. So here, I'm going to run that math. 153 divided by 184. Do you really honestly believe that you can extract 83% of your whole soil's phosphorus level in one season? There is zero chance of that. No, on our farm, if we're going for 300 bushel corn, I want at least 100, if not 200 parts per million of available phosphorus because we have a tremendous demand and our roots can only do so much. We'll finish answering uh, this question here from Derek right after this. Early does it. Strong early season defenses against seedling insects and soil diseases are key to a successful season. The leader in Inferro Solutions, FMC, helps protect your fields from the start with a growing portfolio of Inferro innovations. You can't predict the future, but you can plant for it. Visit your FMC retailer or inferro.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow label directions for use. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. 
Introducing our most advanced technology from Hypro, the 9915 series diaphragm pumps. Upgraded with corrosion-resistant materials and a multi-piston design to work longer and harder in any condition. Hypro, right on technology, right on target. What's new from New Farm? Longbow EC Herbicide, the latest in our portfolio of versatile weed management tools, gives you another Carfentrazone option, taking aim at more than 60 broadleaf weed species. And did we mention economical? Longbow EC's low use rate makes it a flexible tank mix partner with most burned down non-selective herbicides. Ask your dealer for Longbow EC, available for fall. Every week for more than two decades, AgPhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more, all designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. When it comes to mites in your field, you can't afford a solution that might work. That's why there's Zealpro Miticide from Valent USA. With next level knockdown and long residual control, you can be sure to handle spider mites at all stages of life with complete certainty. With efficient translaminar activity, apply by ground or air, and confidently attack mites where they are. Make Zealpro the definitive answer to your mite problem. Visit valent.com slash zealpro to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. It's Farmer Friday, and we're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag. I'm Brian Hefty, along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio. Right before the break, we were just talking about Derek from Iowa's question, talking about his fertility program. And I, I would say this, Derek, if you're looking at I'm short on phosphorus and I'm short on sulfur in my tissue tests, you know what that means. That means putting more phosphorus and sulfur out in that soil. Now, you can band phosphorus and we're great with banding phosphorus you get faster uptake that's awesome with sulfur just like nitrogen it moves in the soil fairly well so if you want to band a little bit of sulfur you definitely can we broadcast most of our sulfur quite frankly if we don't have manure available or some other source of sulfur we'll just go out with some ammonium sulfate in the fall maybe a couple hundred pounds something like that so we get some nitrogen out some sulfur and that usually solves our sulfur issue for the following year um, anyway, Darren, his last question here was, he says, we have we have been either spraying 32% or uh, ammonium thiosulfate pre-emerge on corn or Y-dropping pre-tassel. Should we lean harder on that application for our sulfur needs? This summer, we have a few trials of broadcasting AMS over soybeans at R1 to R2 with rates ranging from 50 pounds to 200 pounds. So uh, what do you think? Should they go harder that way on the sulfur or do what I'm talking about, maybe broadcasting some more AMS like he's doing on his soybeans? Hey, I was just going to bring up one thing on the phosphorus and sulfur here. When oh, he's sure. got high organic matter levels, yep. a couple of good things there. You're going to get mineralization that's going to release some of that phosphorus and sulfur every year. So that's good, but clearly that hasn't been enough. So you're right. We definitely need to apply more. With sulfur, I like ammonium sulfate because it's usually reasonably priced, I guess, for what you're getting considering the nitrogen and the sulfur. But the other thing that some folks are doing is putting a little bit of elemental sulfur out too to try to have more of a delayed release out of that. 
Yeah. But uh, it's up to you how you do that. You have to price it. Elemental sulfur is expensive this year, so I hate to recommend it if you don't absolutely have to have it. Yeah, and he um, doesn't. His I, pH is fine. So, yeah, it'd just yeah, be the delayed. Putting stuff yeah. Out, yeah, as far as when you're putting the sulfur out there, I, I mean, I like to have sulfur there all through the season. And Definitely. whenever you're putting in out, I think that's a great time to do it. So yes. if you're going to do that a little later in the season, throw some sulfur with it. I'm great with that. As far as on soybeans, is that your yield limiting factor? I don't know, but it'll be fun to find out and see how your trials turn out this year. Yeah, I would really doubt that's the yield limiting factor in a soybeans. I really would. I think it's lack of phosphorus and maybe even potassium more so than the nitrogen and sulfur there. But let's put it this way. The timing on this AMS, ammonium sulfate does not break down immediately. So if you're putting it on your beans at R1 or R2, when is that going to come available? 30 to 60 days later. Well, is that the right timing for it? Maybe that could be a little on the late side. So I always try to be a little on the early side with most fertility things. I just want to make sure my crop is never running short. Good questions, though, Derek. Good luck down there. All right. Next question here comes from Glenn in Georgia. He's asking about drive or quinclorac. Can I spray this on my lawn? He asks. My lawn is Bermuda grass. Uh, yes, you absolutely can spray that on your lawn. It will tell you right on the label, though, with Bermuda grass. If you want to add a little bit of chelated iron or some nitrogen, that will help improve your tolerance with that Bermuda grass. Uh, next one is from John, and he sent us an article about metabolic herbicide resistance. Uh, John from Minnesota here. And basically, it was uh, University of Wisconsin extension weed scientist who just said, hey, with weeds, we have two big things going on in terms of resistance. We've got what we call target site resistance, where basically there's a specific enzyme that the herbicide targets that's either mutated so the herbicide can't bind to it, or the target enzyme's overproduced to the point that the herbicide can't effectively bind to all the sites. But he said the problem here is we're running into some of these weeds now that have metabolic resistance. So in other words, they're able to metabolize the herbicide. So they, they can do that just like corn or soybeans can metabolize herbicides that they are tolerant to. So they're just worried that this could be a major concern. And the title of the article is, is metabolic herbicide resistance the straw that will break weed management's back? And John's just wondering our feedback on that. So what's, what's your first thought on that, Darren? Well, I think it, it's really interesting that, that weeds could become resistant resistant to herbicides without even having the herbicide sprayed out there. That's kind of scary for one. Uh, for two, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to control weeds. And I think it just gets us back to what is actually working in fields, rotating crops, rotating modes of action, and using multiple modes of action all the time. I think that's really important. So with each of these target weed species, you know, you look at it just over the history of, of us on the farm, Brian, over the last really 40 years that we've been caring about weeds. It's been different weeds about every five or 10 years that we're fighting out there. And you had yep. mentioned just yesterday on the show, where did all this mare's tail come from? Where did these dandelions come from when we first started doing some no-till? And you know what? They came and they went and they're no problem anymore for us. And now it's, you know, different weeds that we're seeing out there. So uh, it just changes as we go. And if you're having trouble managing it, you know what, there's other things you can do besides herbicides like tillage, like cover crops, uh, and, and on and on. So lots of different things that can be done. I'm not too worried about a weed certainly 
taking over all the farmland and we aren't able to raise any crops, uh, I think we're going to be fine. I think we'll figure it out. Yep. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. We can kill any weed that there is out there in just about any crop. You let us know if you're having problems on your farm and we'll give you what we feel would be the best solution for you. All right. Next comment here comes from Darren. He says he's having issues with our GDU calculator. Darren, we'll have to have somebody follow up with you on that. Um, I, I haven't heard that from anybody else, but maybe there's something we can do to help you there. Uh, then we got one from Vladimir who says, with plant tissue tests, can I dry the sample and then send it to a lab at a later date? Will the drying and delaying analysis affect the results? Uh, Vladimir, I don't think you're going to want to do that because our fear is that you're going to start to get some mold there. Stuff is going to start to decay, and then that is going to change things. So I would not do that. Don't you agree, Darren? There's one way you can find out. Do a couple of samples Good that point. way, send them in fresh, and then save the other half of the sample for later. The other thing you can do is talk to the labs. Believe me, they've done studies on yes. this. Yep. They've tried it. Ask them, what results have you had with this? Has it really skewed things? Because if it hadn't have skewed things, I don't understand why they wouldn't be recommending that now. Instead, they're saying send it in quick, send it in in a paper bag that breathes, so these things don't mold and go bad on us. They want them right away. They must be getting more accurate data. All right, next one here is from Roman, and Roman is from Ukraine. He was here back on our farm back last summer. Yeah, I think it was uh, early last summer. Anyway, yeah, he, and, on, and on the radio show too. Yeah, that's right. Uh, anyway, he just sent us an email saying, hey guys, I just want to let you know my family and I are fine. We are still refugees, but we're in Germany now. Uh, anyway, he says, we regularly remember and miss the time we were in South Dakota. Thanks for your hospitality. Uh, he also asks here if, uh, if Darren, if you, if you want to go to New Zealand, <laughs> they're going to New Zealand in December. Uh, Roman, I appreciate the offer. I'm not going to be going to New Zealand in, uh, in December. I'd like to get there someday, but with kids still in school, that's just, uh, that's not going to work very well for me. Yeah, it's, it's not going to work for me either this year, unfortunately, but I have been to New Zealand uh, right in the December, January time period. For anybody interested in that, it's a great time to head down there. Uh, and if you want more information about what this group is doing, just go to WRRU.org uh, for more information about what's happening in Ukraine uh, and this Travelite group and, and what they're doing for ag tours around the world. All right, next one is from Lindsay, and she says, I was wondering if you could share what your best ideas are for growing lentils. So, Lindsay, I would say, first of all, my biggest concern is weeds in a lot of cases with lentils because we don't have any good options post-emerge to kill broadleaves. So that's where you got to start with great a great pre-emerge program. You need Prowl. You need Metribuzin. I'd want to make sure I got Sharpen out there as long as that's labeled in your state. Unfortunately, though, like with Prowl and Metribuzin, or sorry, Prowl and Sharpen, you can't use full rates. So make sure you're looking at the label on what you can actually use because it is a cut rate for both of those. You could also throw a low rate of Pursuit out there. You could throw some... Uh, some group 15 like a generic dual or name brand dual out there if you want to just I, I mean you want to throw the kitchen sink at it pre-emerge and then other than that it's the same stuff we talk about in every crop it's having good drainage having good fertility and if you've got more questions on on your soils just send us your soil tests and we can get back to you on that but yeah I, I mean a lot of the stuff is the same as every other crop but the the weed management can be a lot more difficult 
All right, well, before we wrap things up today, just wanted to say thanks to my sister Janelle. She was running the controls and producing the show for us today. And thanks to you for listening. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.